0: Welcome to Nature Revisited, the podcast. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and on this episode, we are honored to be joined by John Perlin, the author of the newly enlarged updated edition of his classic, A Forest Journey, the role of trees in the fate of civilizations. First published in 1989 and recognized as a Harvard classic in science and world history, John talks with me about how civilizations rose and fell because of the way they managed their wood, their forests. Lessons that are very relevant today. And John also talks about the very personal journey that he has had over the years with the book. But first, a word from our sponsors, Prairie Restorations from Princeton, Minnesota.
1: Prairie Restorations is excited to sponsor today's episode of Nature Revisited. Founded in 1977 as one of the first native garden centers in the country, Prairie Restorations has grown and expanded the diversity of our native plants and services. Our mission is to produce and provide the most ecologically appropriate seeds, plants, products and services to restore and manage native plant communities. Shop our online garden center and receive 10% off your order when you use promo code NATURE REVISITED. Be the change. Be a native gardener and help restore critical native habitat. Visit prairieresto.com to shop the highest quality native seeds and plants. That's prairieresto.com. Again, that's prairieresto.com. Now back to your show.
0: I'm going to start with your story and what role did nature have when you were growing up and when did trees and forests first interest you?
2: I grew up in downtown Los Angeles. My parents were very helpful in my curious mind and so I began planting crops in the empty lot next to our house. When I was about 10, I got this book on hands-on experiments, and one of those was to fill a jar with water to put on top of an avocado pit to hold the base of the pit on the rim of the jar. So 90% was immersed. Several weeks later, I watched as the pit started to sprout, and I had grown my first tree. The success of the experiment allowed me to enter a daily national syndicated question competition. was called Ask Andy. And I sent in the question, if the seed is so small, how does it grow into a tree so tall? And a week later, I got a phone call from the LA Times that I won and received as an award a book called The First Book of Trees. And that's how it all started.
0: So when did you first get the idea to start the journey that led you to writing your book, A Forest Journey? And why that title?
2: To answer the first question, I had just finished a book called A Golden Thread, 2,500 Years of Solar Architecture and Technology. And during that research, I found that the... The reason why people turned to the sun for house and water heating over the thousands of years, it occurred when people began to run short of wood. So then I asked the question: uh, Wood must uh, played a big role in these people's lives to make such a major change once they were running out of it. Found out that wood was the principal fuel and building material of almost every society from the Stone Age to the 19th century. And so I uh, delved into the research that ended up as a forestry. And now to answer your second question uh, about how I got the title. At the time, I was a uh, member of the University of California Santa Barbara Classics Department. And I was walking with a graduate student telling him what I was doing. And he said, did you ever read A Forest Journey in the epic of Gilgamesh, suddenly I discovered that I was on a forest journey 5,000 years later and that Gilgamesh, the epic, its main thrust is about the forestry of Gilgamesh and sets a paradigm for how humanity has interacted with the forests since civilization began about 5,000 years ago.
0: So when was the first edition of A Forest Journey first published?
2: It was first published in 1989. The publishers, they weren't going to do a paperback. And so I said, why don't you put it up to auction to see if maybe someone would be excited. And indeed, Harvard University Press, and it became a Harvard classic and one of Harvard's 100 great books that were published by the press. And so that was in 1991. Norton, who was my original publisher, saw how valuable the Harvard people found it. They bought back the licensing and came out with another edition in 2005. But in all these editions, nothing really new was added, and this is what makes the new book so different is that like about 30% of the book is new information. Instead of uh, just going back 5,000 years, it goes back 385 million years ago with the first true tree.
0: So can you explain why civilizations and forests have always had such an adversarial relationship?
2: Actually, uh, wood being used as fire is the major cause for deforestation along with what's called the Neolithic when uh, people began to clear the land to make way for crops. As civilization grew, it grew on the fact that people learned how to remove metal from a rock. 95% of all metal is embedded as an ore, and this required a fuel to get up to the heat necessary for this process. As I try to tell people, and I hope I tell your audience, that civilization is not really marked by the metal ages. It's marked by the wood age, because without the wood as fuel, we could have never had the metals, and we would still be in what we call the Stone Age. Also, the containers that people used up till about 100 years ago were primarily ceramics, and to make ceramics required heating earth. So trade would have been impossible, and also wood was required for all the ships. There would have been no commerce without wood, and so people went to the forest. Also, the locomotives, for example, in America, ran on wood fuel until long after the civil war so even the iron horse required wood to get it galloping i could go on and on but i think i've made my point that wood was the basis for all civilization and without wood we could have never had civilization
0: so how has the deforestation of these forests affected certain
2: civilizations what happens is An abundance of wood is like a magnet for the growth of civilization. And when they deforest the trees that are growing in their vicinity, they either collapse or they become colonizers in other parts uh, of the world. An example of that is Greece. Greece started to run out of wood, and as a consequence, They expanded to the north in Thrace, and also they expanded to what's called Magna Graeca in Roman area. So colonization is one strategy that keeps a civilization going. And another example is Britain and the United States. The British first began running out of wood, and so they deforested Ireland, and then. In America, they saw the only way of masting their great boats was in the New England forests. And so we see colonization is one of the strategies or choices that people make as they run out of wood. Or in other cases, as in the Mayan civilization, we see that once they grew beyond their forest limits, the empire just collapsed.
0: Let's touch on a few of those periods in time or in history that really demonstrates the results of man's abuse of forests. And let's start with with Africa. The Sahara Desert, was that once a forest?
2: That's one aspect of my research that really blew my mind was the Romans considered North Africa to be one of the major sources of Roman wood uh, for fuel. The Sahara always existed, but its advances was caused by deforestation. And actually, deforestation is one of the big causes all over the world of desertification. So, so yeah, the Sahara Desert always existed, but at a much smaller uh, size. What strikes me as the most fascinating story is the rise of the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were people who lived on the coast of uh, the Mediterranean. Right above them were the great cedars of Lebanon. And this attracted the Egyptians who had no timber themselves. The Phoenicians decided, you know, the Egyptians need us. Why don't we just sell it to them uh, rather than just supply it to them? And this gave rise to the Phoenician boats, which of course were made of wood. Even more important, they exported the language exported an alphabet to the entire European world, and if not for the wooden boats of the Venetians, we wouldn't have our languages that we have today. They used their timber to export language.
0: What about the Tiger and Euphrates rivers? Wasn't that once a lush forest?
2: Well, that's one of the fascinating things, actually, about the Bible is the Bible contains uh, lots of references to the cedar forests, just like uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Indeed, they were a lush forests. At the Tigris and Euphrates, in the literature, they talk about the forests being the mother of the rivers once they were cut down, as the Epic of Gilgamesh illustrates the mountains were bare and they were high in salinity as the timber came down the rivers to build Mesopotamia, the salt from highly salted sedimentary rocks also sent salt down and turned the fertile crescent over time into a uh, desert. Salty soils do not a uh, crop grow, right? And so, uh, actually it caused the abandonment of these uh, great empires uh, by the uh, Persian Gulf.
0: So next, let's touch on the effect of the abuse of forests by England and America. Give us a few examples of, and I'm sure there are many, of how those two countries have shaped their culture by their abuse of force.
2: Because Great Britain at first was a greatly forested country, but as they started to develop industry like glass making, like iron making, this caused them to lose their trees. In fact, you had internal clashes where the Royal Navy wanted the wood, you know, to prepare themselves for the Armada, and the British gunmakers who were making guns for the Spanish and wood being the victim. And so the British turned to Ireland. I began to understand the whole conflict between Ireland and England, because England totally ruthlessly deforested the country for making iron to kill Irishmen. It's hard for me to imagine. Ireland is called the green country because of all its grass, but not because of its trees. But actually, at one time, it was all covered with, with oak. When they came to America, England took note of uh, the Great forests, and the initial conflict with the colonists and the Americans began because the British wanted the Great White Pines to their huge ships, and so the Americans wanted the wood for either lumber, which they could sell, and the English wanted the um, trees to remain as a storehouse for the English Navy. And so the first conflict for independence began when the Americans would cut down the trees that were supposedly protected for the English Navy. And also the English realized that this storehouse of timber was incredibly valuable and should be kept away from their enemies. So this is why the British kicked out the Dutch The British were very concerned that they would go up and up and take all their timber supplies... And so the English kicked the Dutch out immediately, so they had uh, control. But unfortunately, they didn't realize that the people uh, settling in these areas would want the wood for themselves. And this also created a conflict between the American settlers and the native peoples, because the native peoples wanted the forest to remain intact, So these were inevitable conflicts, both between the British and the Americans and the Americans and the indigenous people.
0: So why do you think that your book wasn't written before you wrote it? Why has Wood, as you are describing it, and as you put out in your book, the history of Wood, why has it kind of been way off the radar for most people?
2: I can only say that new eyes see new things. I asked the same question. Everybody thought I, I've gone on the deep end because I was telling people this is the key to understanding civilizations through the forest. And I was totally you know, nuts. So I had a lonely path for a number of years as I extracted these ideas. All of it is original research based on primary sources from the times. You know, I shrugged my shoulders. At first, I said, am I the first one to think uh, on this grand scale? And indeed, it proved to be true.
0: One of the things that I love about your book is that you can open it anywhere and find fascinating and important information. The way you've put it together, it's quite fascinating.
2: I really appreciate you saying that. It was almost like a religious experience. The deeper I got into the forest, you might say, you know, riding a forest journey, you know, the trees got bigger and bigger. It just spiraled. Doing this last edition, I spent four years discovering a whole new story that I hadn't touched before. It just kept on rolling till people at Patagonia <laughs> said, uh, said, no more. But then what happened was they got addicted. And after uh, saying no more, we had a meeting and they said, I know you're going to laugh at us, but we want to give you six more months to um, get more information.
0: <laughs> what are some of the important ways that we are connected to forest for our survival? For example, how trees affect The rainfall, what are some of the other ways that forests play such a crucial role in our lives?
2: Well, first of all, that's one of the reasons why I'm so happy I got to do a new edition, is because over the last 30 years, there's been much more scientific focus on the importance of trees and the survival of humanity. First uh, begins with, of course, uh, carbon sequestration. What's interesting about that for me was people think it all happening in the leaves. The new research has shown much of the sequestration occurs below the ground with the roots. A good deal of carbon sequestration happens as the roots grab, uh, you might say, nutrients for the tree. And in the process, create what's called carbonates, and those carbonates end up in the ocean To show you the relationship between trees and life, is that also the carbonates, calcium carbonate, is, you know, what shells are made of, you know, seashells. And if not for that calcium carbonate being generated at the root level and eventually flowing through the rivers and eventually ending up in the sea, many of the uh, sea creatures would be naked. And so we live in this intricate web that nobody has understood uh, earlier that science is showing us with the trees. And a whole new aspect is trees creating rain. This is all in the last decade is that originally, and still uh, holds in a lot of people's minds, is that all the rain is caused by the evaporation of the oceans. And what they've discovered is that trees create at least about 40% of the rain, but even more important, they've discovered that trees through evapotranspiration provides a relay of the rainwater created from the oceans to thousands of miles away to give people water. For example, the rainforests in the Congo provide 40% of the rainfall that fills the uh, Nile River. Or another example is the Amazon, where it's turning out the people in all of Southeast South America rely on that water. And as I try to tell people, you need water.
0: Maybe you can give us some thoughts on what you just talked about, the Amazon. It's probably the most famous forest on the planet. What are some of your thoughts on its ultimate survival, and just how important that forest in the Amazon is.
2: I'd like to preface this by telling you that the great American forest that extended from the Atlantic coast almost all the way to the Mississippi was as great a forest as the Amazon you know, if I tell you that Indiana was once in the middle part of the 19th century, Indiana was the most important timber-bearing state in the uh, Union. And there were parakeets, there were all these exotic birds. and In fact, there were millions of bison flourishing in the Allegheny Mountains. Uh, what happened in the Great American Forest is what's happening in the Amazon today. And if we don't uh, heed the lessons that are in a forest journey, that in the 19th century, the lungs of the world were located in our country. You have the same processes happening in the Amazon.
0: Now, what you hope, but what do you think that people should take away with them after reading A Forest Journey?
2: I think A Forest Journey is what I would call biohistory, where for the first time we see the underlying... Story of civilization, and that is the trees. And so it's like a biohistory for the first time. And once we realize that the real mover of our lives are the trees, then hopefully people will begin to take on a new ethos that is stay out of the forest.
0: As we all know, words are important. You talk about the forest, not necessarily the tree. We have these ideas about trees and how important trees are. But your book is talking about how important forests are. The focus is on the forest.
2: Right. Some people say, well, look, all the trees in the eastern United States are rebounding. But when you look at the size of those trees, you realize that Daniel Boone could have never built a log cabin with uh, the way the trees are today because of looking at the trees rather than the forest. For example, I could not believe people being aware of this uh, 5,000 years ago when Gilgamesh and his buddy Enkidu destroyed the Cedar Forest as they go down the Euphrates with rafting logs. Enkidu... Gilgamesh's partner in crime, he suddenly gets the realization and he says, this is written 5,000 years ago, he says, I think we've turned the forest into a wasteland. What will our gods think of us? That I think is the greatest conclusion that I hope everybody leaves with after they've read the book.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Perlin, and that you get a chance to read this incredibly important book, The Forest Journey. And that the next time you look at a tree, you also see the forest. Nature Revisited would like to thank Prairie Restorations for sponsoring this episode. And I hope you will visit them for all your restoration needs. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with friends, family, and colleagues. You can follow Nature Revisited on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or our website, Productions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N Productions.com. The music for this episode is Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan van Orden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature.